The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So good morning. In thinking about what to share, what to talk about this morning, um, I felt a little resistance to offering. Um, I don't want to call it a formula, but <laughs> you know so you know, kind of a typical, um, wonderful teachings that we, that we have here. And there was, a, there was a phrase that was coming to my mind. And um, anyway, I thought, well, that might be a good, a good poetic doorway into the meditation experience. And, you know, there's many different ways of talking about meditation, talking about practice. Sometimes poetry can evoke something or um, open something for us in a way that explanation uh, sometimes falls short. So, so the phrase or the, um, you know, the, the phrase which I wanted to explore a little bit is original face. Original face. You know, and this is, this is, this is a, um, a term that has a lot of history and a lot of resonance, and specifically in the Zen tradition. Um, I believe it, one of the places where it's first seen in, in the, the Mahayana, the Zen tradition, is in the Platform Sutra, where, you know, without getting into the whole story and knowing the whole story, the master grabs the student and says, This very moment, before thinking good or bad, what show me your original face. You know, so this idea to show me your original face. Um, and when I first uh, did some practice in Japan and went to a monastery there, the question that each of us were given as students, um, sort of as monks, was, was, this, was this very similar question. Before your mother and father were born. What was your original face? What is your original face? Before mother and father, what is your original face? So I've been chewing on this for years. (laughs) And there's something in, um, you know, it's a question that brings up uh, there's a kind of immediacy to it. Um, in, in a way, this, this phrase, original face, sometimes is, is, is interchanged for your true, true self, true nature. You know, they kind of have a, they have a, have a similar feeling. Um, and... So original face, um, and so different practitioners, different teachers, masters have 
found ways of expressing this idea. And um, one I particularly like is, is a poem that is written by Dogen, who is um, one of the great, uh, maybe some people say the greatest philosopher and greatest thinker that Japan has produced and is the founder of the Soto Zen School in Japan. Um, and so he has a poem called um, Original Face. And, and, this is, and this is a translation of it by Shohaku Okamura, who's a wonderful Zen teacher um, in, who lives in Indiana right now. So, spring, flowers, summer, the cuckoos, autumn, the moon, winter, snow that does not melt, each season pure and upright. Spring, flowers, summer, cuckoos, autumn, the moon, winter, snow does not melt, all seasons pure and upright. And so this is Dogen's expression of original face. And you know, so there's something in, in the natural world, in the changing of the seasons and the turning is, you know, as we were in our winter, such, such as it is, um, something, something in, in this rhythm or flow of, of life, of the seasons that reveals who we are, reveals our essence, reveals our original face. Um, so I want to come back to that a little bit, but, um, you know, one thing to say is that one of the interesting things about Japan is and having spent some time there and lived there, is the seasons are so um, distinct. You know, I mean, they really, you think about a place that has really has four seasons, you know, and it's like, you know, you can set your, your, your watch to when the cherry blossoms open, you know, or when the rainy s- summer comes, and the big, beautiful harvest moon in autumn. And it's like, you know, I think Japan is not the only place that's like this, but it's because the seasons are so, um, um, the word that's coming to mind is almost like archetypal. You know, winter is really snowy and it's really, you know, and summer is just hot and, and, um, in autumn, the leaves turn, and so it it makes sense to me 
that from Japanese culture or Japanese uh, understanding the the beauty of the seasons of uh, expressing themselves in some way is incorporated into the Dharma, uh, the Dharma expression, the Dharma teachings. So, um, but if it were just a poem about, you know, spring flowers, summer the birds, you know, it may be beautiful, but um, what I think makes this particularly special is this last line, is um, each season, each season pure and upright, each season pure and upright. So um, maybe one understanding of that is that the the seasons totally express themselves and then then fall away without attachment. You know, it's like... um, One of the commentators of this poem says, the, the blossoms don't complain. <laughs> you know, um, when it's time to open, they open. When it's time to fall, they fall. And um, we can just think about that in, in maybe as a reference point or in contrast to our own human, you know, our own te- human tendency to complain, (laughs) you know, to resist, to um, somehow hold ourselves as separate from nature. And I think one of the central ideas of meditation practice, of Dharma practice, is to, um, that this separation, this resistance from nature, from our nature, is what brings about um, the, the unnecessary suffering in our life. And the more we can close that gap and the more we can um, practice non-separation, um, the more we, the closer we get to our original nature, our original face. And so... Um, you know, this is right there in teachings like the Four Noble Truths. Um, and if it, you know, the, which, which basically say that there is suffering and there's unnecessary suffering. And this unnecessary suffering, it's possible to transform this. It's possible to let it go. It's possible to free ourselves um, from this unnecessary suffering which comes from our clinging, comes from our self-clinging. There's a formulation of the Four Noble Truths which I particularly like and it goes well with this teaching of original face, original nature. Um, And it... it, um, So the Four Noble Truths is there's suffering, there's a cause of suffering, Um, there is uh, 
the cessation of suffering, the ending of suffering, and there's a way, there's a path leading to the end of suffering. So, so this formulation uh, says, um, I don't want to, yeah. So for there is suffering, it says, caught in a self-centered dream, only suffering. Caught in a self-centered dream, only suffering. Holding to self-centered thoughts, exactly the dream. So there's suffering and there's a cause of suffering. Caught in a self-centered dream, only suffering. Holding to self-centered thoughts, exactly the dream. And then, so the third noble truth, there's the cessation of suffering. She says, and this is from the Joko Beck, who's a wonderful Zen teacher. Each moment, life as it is, the only teacher. Each moment, life as it is, the only teacher. And then, for the fourth truth, there's a there's a way, there's a path. Um, sometimes that's you know expanded into the eightfold path. So she says, being just, so what is the way? What is the way? Being just this moment, compassion's way. So, you know, it has a kind of immediacy and so caught in a self-centered dream, only suffering. Holding to self-centered thoughts, exactly the dream. Each moment, Life as it is, the only teacher. Being just this moment, compassion's way. I think in mindfulness practice, we, we talk about observing our experience, witnessing our experience. Um, and you can kind of sense into the difference just the energetic difference between observing the moment, watching the moment, versus being the moment. You know, and what is that? What does that feel like? Or what is there? You know, at least for me, there's this sense of collapsing of separation. You know, and one of the common forms of separation with meditation is. setting up some kind of expectation that there's some kind of goal, some kind of project, like I'm here now, I want to get there. And meditation and practice is a way to go from here to there. You know, or that somehow how I am right now is a problem. And in going through this practice, this path, doing these things, there'll be a transformation and change and then I'll get somewhere else and be different and be better, be happier, have less suffering. You know, so this is a very natural way of thinking about practice. And so I think there's a, there is a challenge in, in this particular formulation to be just this moment. You know, and this willingness to be the moment, to be as we are, um, to let ourselves go through 
the seasons of life, maybe, you know, of our spring, our summer, our autumn. And just the way that the flowers don't grumble and, the you know, complain and when they're when it's time to open they open when it's time to fall they fall when it's time for the 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 cuckoo to come out and sing they do sing their song um, so being just this moment is um, one of those instructions that for some people can can shift us. It, it's like a, a shift in identity from being this separate me, this separate self who, I, you know, I have my problems and my, and my gifts and my, you know, and the good things and the bad things. And so meditation is a space where that can help shift us. You know, just a very gentle shift, a very subtle shift from um, being self-centered and viewing, experiencing our life through this prism of, of the self and what I want, what I don't want, my preferences, um, to what, what this teacher, Joko Beck, used to call um, a shift from self-centered practice to life-centered. What does it mean to be life-centered? What does it mean to um, yeah, it's like this willingness to be, this willingness to be the moment, which includes all these beautiful things, these beautiful parts of the season, types of the season, but it includes all of it. It includes our pain, it includes our anger, it includes our frustration. Um, and there's something about um, being willing to experience the moment in its fullness, in including its difficulties. You know, that we can never really be happy until we're willing to experience our unhappiness. You know, and this is one of the principles of Dharma practice. We spend so much time avoiding what's unpleasant, what's unhappy, and distracting ourselves. And it's in that in that turning away that we, um, we can't s- open to our original face. We can't open to the totality of life which, and, and, and take our place within it because we're, you know, we're, um, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're there's some separation. There's some. There's some distancing. So, um, I think the, this expression "original face" has um, a certain poignancy for me because. Um, it's pointing to what we identify with, you know, and where we identify. And for most of us, there's not much more that we identify with than our face. 
right? You know, so we have a face, we have faces, we have different faces we wear, you know, different identities, different roles. And, um, you know, a person's face is, is, you know, if you think of it, at least physically, where, you know, who are you or where are you? We might point to our, our brain, or what we think about our brain, but often it's our face that we identify with. It's our face that we protect instinctively. Um, and um, so, so in this poem, Dogen is, you know, in, in a way it's, it's quite striking that original face, he starts talking about something that's impersonal, you know, the seasons, the, um, you know, summer, the flowers, summer flowers, uh, sorry, uh, spring flowers, summer, cuckoos, winter, the moon, uh, autumn, the moon, winter, the snow. And um, this is, I think, uh, you know, wh- one of the one of the other ways this resonates with me is just the theme of change, just the theme of impermanence. And have you ever heard this phrase? Impermanence is another word for perfection. You know, and it it gives a different spin. You know, um, one one side of one one way of expressing the Dharma is because things are impermanent, they're defective, right? You know, because it's impermanent, we can't trust it, we can't believe in it, and um, it's um, it's suffering. You know. And, you know, so you may like your new car or something, but the first time it gets scratched or the first, you know, or the, oh God, it has some problem, you have to bring it in. It's like, oh yeah, another thing I can't depend on, I can't trust. And so there's a flavor of, of the Buddhist teaching, of Dharma teachings that, you know, that this world is, uh, doesn't exist in the way we, we, we deeply want it to exist. It's always changing. It's always in flux. And therefore, it has this built-in defect. And um, this built-in dukkha. And I think this teaching, impermanence is another word for perfection, is coming at it from the other side. Is coming at it from the side of awakening to our original face of awakening and shifting our identity so um, actually there's nothing wrong with a car if you know what a car is and what a car does and that there's not some essence inside the car that's the real car that exists there forever but it's something that comes together there are different pieces and parts and the wheel and the motor and the seats and the door. And it's pretty, in fact, it's pretty useful to have a car, you know, and use a car in our, in our modern life. So 
when we can see things for what they are, then they're perfect in what they are. It's perfectly a car. And when we don't have the illusion that it's something else, we can appreciate its carness, its perfect carness. We can use it. It can fulfill its function. And when it's time for it to go or, or go to the places where old cars go, that we let it go. And so I think... Um, That, that's the flavor of, of the perfection of impermanence. That's the flavor of um, when we can experience our life <laughs> when we can experience our life without the uh, usual attachments without the usual resistance to the nature of things, then um, all there is is perfection. All there is is impermanence, interdependence, the flow of, 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 of life continually showing us our face, our true face, our original face. And... Um, does that does that make sense? Does that you know? It's a little bit of a different um, way in, but um, I think it's not that we have to be fully awakened or fully enlightened, like the Buddha, to appreciate that perspective, because I think it's something that we know that that resonates with us because we know some something in us knows the truth of that, you know that. Um, that practice is in some deep way about being with how things are, how things really are, um, rather than how I want them to be. And it's, um, it's about the, the intersection of these two, because we're always going to have preferences. We're always going to want it this way and not want it that way. We want, um, you know, we want things how we want them. We want uh, safety and security and love and good feelings. We don't want sadness and sorrow and loss and pain. And, and so, but those preferences, those wants are too part of nature. Those are too part of the moment. And so practice is about um, sitting at, at this place, this intersection between how things are and how I want them to be. Um, so we see, when we see with the mind that doesn't cling, we're not merely watching, but being the moment. And um, when when we're experiencing from this perspective, um, each and every experience, each and every form is itself 
manifesting something true, you know, is itself, it's not like we get to a place where we, where everything is totally empty, totally still, and then we can experience truth. It's like, no, right here, right now, is truth. Where else could it be? (laughs) You know, there's nothing other than truth. There's nothing other than impermanence. It's not like we have to get to some special place and then there'll be impermanence or then we'll see impermanence. It's like, there's nothing other than impermanence. So one of the the old teachers in talking about this phrase, original face, says something like, it can't be, what is it, it can't be, You can't describe it, you can't draw it, you can't imagine it. Your original face has nowhere to hide. <laughs> you know, it's like, um, and then it goes on, when, when the world is destroyed, it is not destroyed. You know, so rather than um, thinking that original face is some special state or some special thing that's either deep inside that we have to work really hard to find or it's some exalted mystical thing you know um, what is what does it mean that original face has nowhere to hide that it's uh, it's identical with life itself you know, it's identical with life itself. And there's one, there's one more teaching that is around this original face, which also comes from uh, Dogen in his instructions for meditation. And he says, take the backward step, turn the light around. Take the backward step and turn the light around. Body and mind will drop away of themselves, body and mind will fall away of themselves and your original face will manifest. So, um, but I love this image of turning the light around, returning the light. Um, Light is Maybe we can think of light as another word for our awareness, our mindfulness. So, which is usually, awareness is usually focused outward. It's usually focused on others, on on things, things in the world, where we're oriented towards noticing out there. You know, and for a good reason. You know, we need to sort of navigate in the world and we, so, is it possible that the practice of meditation is as simple as returning that light, turning that light around? And it's, it's like, 
you know, just to feel into that, what would that even be like to turn the light around and body and mind will fall away of themselves, will let go of themselves. It's not something we have to do, but it's, you know, maybe it's a little bit like um, discovering silence or allowing silence to manifest. We can't force silence. We can't produce silence. We can't uh, think our way into silence. But it's almost like when we just, you know, allow the chatter of the mind, allow the chatter to, to quiet down and to relax all the movements of mind, to just relax of themselves, then silence is there. You know, silence can manifest. So, um, I just offer this as a, uh, as, as, as a, just, just another, if, if it's helpful, if it resonates, just another doorway in that, um, that our own original face is, uh, maybe it's not so hidden. Maybe it's just, just, just this very simple shift, this very simple letting go can, um, allow what's always been there, what always uh, will be there to just be, to just manifest, to just, uh, um, that, you know, if our original face is identical with, with this moment, is identical with life itself, What's the nature of the effort to make? Is it the kind of effort of improving? Can we improve life? You know, is life something that needs to be improved? So what's the nature of the effort? You know, or is it more, more about um, this remembering, this returning, returning to something uh, that's so close, uh, we don't see it. We don't usually see it. So, so thank you. Thank you very much. And we have, we have a few minutes. And um, if anyone has thoughts, questions, comments... Um, Yeah, yeah, sure. Are they both by Dogen? No. no. The, the, yeah, the other one's by Joe Quebec. Um, sure. So th- this is Dogen's, uh, and it's called Poem Expressing Original Face. Spring, flowers. Summer, cuckoos. Autumn, the moon. Winter, Snow does not melt. Snow does not melt. Does not melt. All seasons, pure 
and upright. So, and, um, and, and so the second one is uh, from Joko Beck, who is a contemporary, you know, she's, she's, she's has passed away by, uh, you know, popular Zen teacher from San Diego. Caught in a self-centered dream, only suffering. Holding to self-centered thoughts, exactly the dream. Each moment, life as it is, the only teacher. Being just this moment, compassion's way. So, yeah, compassion's way. Yeah, way of compassion. Um, yeah, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Have we? Uh, <laughs> Yeah, attachment and resistance, just repeating, attachment and resistance, you said, is a big deal. Yeah, I mean, they, they keep us from experiencing truth, you know, in some way. And, and then, you know, question is, is it possible to, um, experience those attachments, experiencing, experience those preferences in a way that doesn't cling, not that they won't be there, but if we can, you know, and that's one of the great things about meditation, we can see them come up in the mind, you know, and not to act on them. You know, just, I mean, just the fact that we're sitting still and we're not going to, you know, feel like, you know, having a cup of coffee. We don't, we don't just get up and go make a cup of coffee. We're sitting, we're, we're, we're getting some measure of freedom from them, you know, to see them arise, to see them fall away. And then from that perspective, those attachments, when, when we're not stuck on them and when they're not controlling us, they too are like the seasons, you know. It's not like, you know, there's a purity in everything, you know, it's like, oh yeah, you, know, you can see that, we can let it go, and it's, it itself is expressing something pure, you know. So it's, ne- so it's not necessarily about getting rid of attachments, but uh, finding a way of being with them, you know, and um, holding them, and, um, but not necessarily believing them not necessarily acting on them. So, so there's that line in the something about um, the way is basically easy for those who have no preferences. Yes. So the problem is preferences. The, the problem is, some people say the problem is preferences or the way I like, the translation I like, the problem is attachment to preferences. So, um, I have to guess, even the Buddha, you know, preferred having a foot massage to being, you know, had to having dysentery and being, you know, I mean, he, had, he was human, he had preferences, you know. Um, but 
to be willing to experience what we're experiencing without um, some kind of, you know, uh, you know, I cannot experience that. I'm not willing to experience that. I'm not, um, I didn't come here, I didn't come to meditate to, you know, feel all this grief or all this sadness or all this anger or something. Um, to, to not be attached to having a certain kind of experience allows whatever the moment brings to, to come up and be experienced. Um, I think we'll always have preferences, but it's how do we relate to those preferences? Is there, you know, um, is, is there a willingness to um, be with what's difficult, with what's uncomfortable? Can I give you an example of a preference? Yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> this is the one that I work with, is separation from my son and my grandchildren, mm. which presumably doesn't have to be since they're close by. So I don't know how to... Well... I guess one can experience that suffering and then, you know, the next moment comes and so you do the next moment. But it's hard not to fall into that trap of going back into the desires and the, all the rest of it. The desire for it to be another way. Another way, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think that... Um, I mean, so to practice with it is not to come to, not to necessarily come to a place where I don't mind, I'm neutral. Whether, whether there's separation and strain in a relationship or not, I, I don't, I don't mind, you know, I'm totally, that's not it. Because actually what that is, is, um, I think that is, somehow, I mean, something we all do, and we all, it's very in our nature, is trying to get to a place where we are uh, not vulnerable to the winds of impermanence. We're not vulnerable to, we're not, um, you know, we're not, we're not somehow exposed to the dependent nature of things, because actually, the 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 fact that you know, if if there's a relationship in my life that where there's distance, where there's strain and separation, and that's impacting me and affecting me and hurting me, that itself is revealing the truth of interdependence. That's revealing truth. So, practice is not about. I'm going to come to a place where I'm uh, invulnerable and invincible and I don't feel things and I don't, it's actually, wow, this is, this is the deepest truth of impermanence, interdependence, when who am I if not my relationships? Who am I if not the world that I'm a part of? which includes the seasons, which includes, you know, the natural world, which includes other people. So when there's suffering and strain in that, of course it affects me. And of course, so it's like, um, 
so so and then so and then maybe practice is fully opening to that fully because that is the moment that if it is if if that's the experience of the moment what does that really feel like to sit in 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 the fire of this in the in the pain of it in the in the which includes the pain of separation which includes the the longing for it to be otherwise which includes all the emotions all the physical stuff and what does it mean to fully be that you know to fully be that so there's nothing else in this moment but that and to fully be that and so it's non-separation with that experience and then in that um in in that in that willingness to to be with it and go in it you know that that that's it and that's often that is what brings insight and that is what brings transformation and that is that oh there was something i was holding myself apart from that it's like i think in a lot of ways the the grief process doesn't fully um happen until we we allow ourselves to be immersed in it and then something something can shift but if i'm always holding it back and holding it um or trying to think my way through it it somehow it keeps it keeps something stuck um so that willingness to be with it to be with the difficulty um that it um yeah so a- anyway that's that's uh, yeah one perspective yeah. yeah sure yeah just a <coughs> so turning the light yeah It's just awareness to turn from outward to inward and to I just want a little more clarity or yeah yeah um, so the question is about turning the light around and more clarity around that um I think when we turn the light around and when we return the light it's like closer than even the distinctions of inner and outer. You know, inner and outer is a kind of idea and it's going to be useful, you know, you, we can t- you know, in the text you know it talks about mindfulness on the outside, mindfulness on the inside, internal external mindfulness. Um but that's a division that is set up through our thinking and to turn the light around is another way of saying to experience something so directly there's even it's not even mediated by our usual thinking and so um to me it 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 evokes a kind of intimacy an intimacy with ourselves an intimacy with experience you know it's just like this no separation that to be so fully in the moment 
whether the moment is feels very peaceful right now or whether there's some kind of storm of emotion of distress it's like i'm not going to fight it i'm not going to resist it i'm going to just sit in the middle of it and let it sort of wash over me let you know let 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 myself have this experience um which is which is actually surprisingly challenging to do you know it's because we there there's something that i think especially as adults we um we're so used to managing things we're so used to uh, uh you know the word that's coming up is 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 defenses you know so we have these defenses which are can be very healthy and very um useful and practical and then but there's something about this about turning the light is um yeah letting go of those defenses and this this willingness to to simply be way you know if that helps um yeah yeah and you know one of the things you can do is 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 in in a sitting you know if that phrase resonates or if any of these phrases resonate just to drop it in you know without even knowing what it means just uh um you know turning the light around you know or i like this idea of return this return of the light returning to something that's so close you know <laughs> yeah 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 you know um yeah yeah thank you thank you very much do you have I had a couple little things. I'm hesitant, but um, one teacher, I know, referred to another teacher who called the original face, I believe it's the same concept, the unborn. Mm. Have you heard that phrase? Mm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, who was that? Was that? It might have been well, Ban Ki-moon, but I don't know. Yeah, Banke? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 So I like that. Yeah, yeah. The, the the one that was there before anything was there. Yeah. 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 Um, I was asking myself that same question during the sit today. That di- what the one you opened with? What's that difference between being awareness or being in the moment and mindful of the moment? Yeah. Yeah. So it was so. Wonderful to have you talk about that. And there were a couple talking about the seasons. I had the grace a couple times recently to see my mood shift, my mood state shift. And it shifted from positive to negative. And I, I want to fix it, right? Like, mm-hmm. The habit is to go to what's wrong, 
what do I need to do or what's the explanation? So either something's wrong with me that I need to change or clearly my partner or something out there's a problem, right? And it was just like, wait a minute. It's just a mood shift. Why do I think that my mood, you know, when I'm graced with with bliss or joy or that love or whatever, why do I think that's going to, that state is going to last forever? What is, what, <laughs> what drug am I on? You know, it's like, what a silly, it's, a, it's like a, a weird a, a delusion of grandiosity in a way that we have this, this control of our mental state. And it, so to, just let that go and go. This is changing right now. And it, so it just changed. Mm. And then it mm-hmm. passed through. Mm-hmm. And then some other state emerged. Whereas I think before, when I would get all fixated on it, I perpetuated it and made it go on sometimes for weeks or months. Right? Beautiful. Beautiful. We have as about as much control over the seasons and the moods and in, in our mind as we do over. <laughs> you know, can can I make the, you know, the. You know, can can I make the spring last forever? Can I make you know, uh, can I stop the, the the flowers from falling? Can I. St- it's like things happen in their season and due to causes and conditions. And yeah, like how, I love that. Like how, I think, I think there's, we have an illusion of control. And we, we, you know, there's some agency, there's some control, but um, it's not what we think. And and that willingness to how freely can we move through the seasons and we move through the different mood states without, you know, fixing on one. Um, this is good, this is bad, this is me. You know, some of us, we, we might not identify with our bliss, our ease, our peace, but we might really identify with our anger or our guilt Oh, yeah, I, I see how my joy, that's not me, but guilt, that's really me. That's, that's mine, you know, you know. And how, you know, what is it to just allow these to, you know, uh, manifest? And um, so, yeah, thank you. Thank you very much.